This morning as we begin, I'll remind you that today is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. And on this day, we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem before his crucifixion. And you might be wondering, why, why is it called Palm Sunday? Well, as Jesus was entering the city, people laid palm branches down in his path as a sign of reverence. But what I want you to know this morning is that reverence soon ended. Shortly after that, in just a short period of time after they welcomed Jesus into the city with reverence, he would be betrayed, arrested, put on trial, and then crucified. This morning, the title of the sermon is, What Will You Do? With Jesus. We're going to be looking at various scriptures this morning and we're going to be able to see situations from people and groups of people and it's going to be plain to see what they did with Jesus. But as we look at each of these people, I want you to ask yourself the question, what will I do with Jesus? And normally, if you've heard me preach before, most of you have, you know, I typically take a small section of scripture and we spend the entire sermon on that. This morning's going to be different. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture this morning as we look into the last few days of the life of Jesus Christ on this earth. So I encourage you this morning to keep your Bible open and follow along, even though certain scriptures will be up on the screen. But this morning, I'm going to be focusing on the crucifixion and the events that led to that next Sunday morning, Brother Blake will be focusing on the resurrection. So I want to invite you right now to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 22. We are going to spend most of our time today in Luke's gospel. But just to establish a timeline for you of what has happened to that point. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Then from Monday through Wednesday, Jesus taught the crowds in the temple and also the disciples in Bethany. And then that brings us to Thursday. That's where our scripture is going to begin this morning is on Thursday, often referred to as Monday, Thursday. Jesus has got his disciples sequestered in the upper room. Beginning in verse 14 of Luke 22. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this. And divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me. 
on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do that. So again, Jesus has got the disciples sequestered in the upper room. He wants to share one last Passover with them prior to his crucifixion. Jesus knew that at this very point, Jewish religious leaders, they wanted to kill him, to silence him, to keep him from doing any more teaching or from performing any more miracles. So Jesus has got this one last opportunity with his followers to prepare them for what is quickly coming. So I want you just to imagine for just a moment, what if you had been at that table with Jesus? What if you had been sitting there at the table with Jesus and you hear him start talking about the bread and the juice as his body that is given for them? What would you do with Jesus in that moment? And then just imagine how you would have processed it when you heard the words, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. What would it have been like to have heard that? The disciples have got a lot to process at this point. What will they do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus Now, while we are still on the disciples as a group, I want us to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is still Thursday. And he, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down. And prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer... He came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, as we think about these particular verses of Scripture, we have got to realize that Jesus was a man of prayer. Prayer was crucial to him. Jesus had a place where he withdrew and prayed, and he did it regularly. I wonder this morning, do you have a place like that? Do you have a place where you can withdraw and pray? And how often do you go there? If you do not have a dedicated place that you go and pray, I want to challenge you today, find one. Find one. Make it your place where you go and pray, where you can be secluded from the rest of the world. And did you notice in the Scripture how Jesus prayed? Remember, Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. And he, he asked his father, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I wonder, is that the way I pray? 
Is it the way that you pray? Or if someone were listening to our prayers, does it sound more like something, a list of things we want, like a grocery list? Please give me this, 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 and this, and don't let this, this, and this happen. Don't let this person die. Is that what our prayers sound like? Or do we pray like Jesus did? Father, not your, not my will, but yours be done. You see, that's the way we are supposed to pray. That's the way Jesus teaches us to pray. That's how he modeled prayer in front of people. And remember, before Jesus withdrew to pray, what did he tell his disciples? Pray so that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus prays. You remember how intensely he prayed? What's it say? What's the scripture say? That he was praying earnestly and his sweat was like great drops of blood hitting the ground. I wonder, being completely transparent now, I wonder if I have ever prayed so intently that it caused me to sweat. Have you? Have you prayed that intently that it caused you to sweat? Jesus was praying intently. And then he comes back. And how does he find his disciples? What were they doing? They were, they were sleeping, but that's not all it says. It's easy to miss this. It says they were sleeping for sorrow. And that was one of the reasons that I chose the passage from Luke this morning, because I think Luke does a really good job of explaining the situation with the disciples. It says they were sleeping for sorrow. So what does that mean? I believe that the reality of what Jesus shared with those disciples in the upper room, it started to click in with them. They realized that Jesus expects to die, and he expects to die soon and very soon. I believe that this group of disciples, they had already started grieving the passing of Jesus before Jesus actually died. Their grief had worn them out and they were sleeping for sorrow. But then he tells them, rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Rise and pray. It's important to pray. Remember, Jesus prayed. He withdrew to that garden to pray. Do you have that place? where you go to pray, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me what? I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known Find that place of prayer that you can dedicate to prayer and go there often. Now let's look at the arrest. We are still on Thursday. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. 
Then Jesus said to the chief priest and the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. So now the betrayer identifies himself and it's Judas. It is Judas. And if we are not very, very careful, we can look at Judas and think something like this. There's no way I'd ever do that. There is no way that I could ever betray Jesus. Now hear me loud and clear this morning. What Judas did was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. But before we go to the place of thinking we could never betray Jesus, I want to remind you that if you have ever entered into any type of compromise from Satan, you've betrayed Jesus. If you have ever called yourself a Christian and you start to think thoughts like, well, I know what the Bible says, but times have changed. And so I think that that's really not that big a deal anymore. If we find ourselves entertaining thoughts like that, if we think that our opinion is above the word of God, we are just as bad as Judas and we have betrayed Jesus. Will we stand on the word of God or not? I pray, I pray that you will. And during this arrest, what did the disciples do with Jesus? Well, at least some of them tried to defend him. They asked Jesus, should we strike with the sword? And then one of them actually did use the sword. He cut off the ear, the right ear, of the servant of the high priest. But what did Jesus do? He put it back on. He healed his ears, his ear. He did not want anything to do with violence. You see, these people, at that moment in time, they were operating under darkness. But what they didn't necessarily know at that point is God set up the system of day and night. When it would be light and when it would be dark, he controls every hour, even though these people were operating under the rule of Satan. Now let's look at Peter for a minute to see what Peter actually did with Jesus. Remember back on Thursday at the Last Supper when Jesus told them that one of them was going to betray him, Peter was pretty confident it wasn't going to be him. Remember that? Peter was like really confident that it was not going to be him. And then Jesus shares something with Peter that I believe is difficult for Peter to hear and to understand. Verse 33 and 34 Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Imagine hearing that from Jesus. Peter has just made the comment, and honestly, I I give Peter the benefit of the doubt here. I think Peter thought he was serious. I believe Peter really thought that he would go with Jesus to prison and that he thought that he would go with him to death if that's what it meant to follow Jesus. But oh, how quickly things changed for Peter when the going got rough. 
Verses 56 through 62 give us some details of Peter's denial. So after the arrest, Peter was following Jesus at a distance. I want to be sure you get that this morning. He was trying to follow Jesus at a distance. I'm going to tell you, you really can't do that. Peter wanted to be far enough away from Jesus that nobody could possibly associate him as being with Jesus. I wonder, have, have you ever had a thought like that? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, it, it won't matter if I do this. It does matter. It does matter. Our actions do matter. Peter's actions mattered in this moment also. Remember, Jesus has told Peter that before the rooster crows this day, that Peter will deny him three times. Verse 56, Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking at him closely, said, This man also was with him. But look what Peter does. He denies it. Saying, Woman, I do not know him. Denial number one. Verse 58, and a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Denial number two. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Verse 60, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Denial number two. In a short, short period of time. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Can you imagine what it was like for Peter to hear that rooster crow? What did Peter do with Jesus? What will we do with Jesus? And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine being on the other end of that glance from the Lord? And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now we're still on Friday. And then Jesus is arrested. So let's look and see what those people did with Jesus. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is that that struck you? Who is that that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. After all, aren't guards supposed to protect the prisoners? Aren't they supposed to protect them? But what did these guards do? They mocked and they beat Jesus. They blindfolded him. And they kept asking him to prophesy. They were asking him to identify who it was that was hitting him. And you see, the thing that they didn't understand is they, they thought they had physically blindfolded Jesus. But let me tell you something. There is not a blindfold big enough or thick enough to blindfold Jesus Christ. 
There is not one that's big enough. We can think that Jesus is not seeing what we are doing or hearing what we say. Let me tell you something. He sees all and he hears all. It doesn't matter if somebody has tried to physically blindfold him. He could have told them names of people that were striking him. He could have told them names of people who were hurling the insult at him. But he chose not to. He chose not to. It became really clear what those people did with Jesus. But again, what will we do with Jesus? Now, it's still Friday. And Jesus starts going through a series of trials, of court proceedings. He first appears before the Sanhedrin. And that's documented in Luke chapter 22, verses 66 through 71. Now, the Sanhedrin is the official council of Judaism. What will they do with Jesus? Human Jewish judges. Not knowing that they were judging the one who would judge the universe. They declared a verdict of guilty. Guilty, crucify him, send him to the cross. It's still Friday. So they brought Jesus to Pilate. What would Pilate do with Jesus? Well, Pilate actually gave a really clear verdict. I find no guilt in this man. But they didn't like it. They didn't like what they heard the priest absolutely refused to take no for an answer. They wanted Jesus to be crucified. So, they repeated their charge. And listen to their charge. He stirs up the people. Teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. Does that sound like a reason to crucify somebody? He stirs up people. He teaches. What a charge. What a charge. What a ridiculous charge. And I think we can learn a lot from this, folks. I know most of us have lived long enough to know that oftentimes the people who scream the loudest are often wrong. They certainly were in this particular instance. They wanted Jesus crucified. But as Pilate was hearing these charges, he hears the word Galilee. And he sees an opportunity to get rid of Jesus, to pass him off to somebody else who can make a decision. So he sends him to Herod. Now, Herod knew about Jesus. But Herod was trying to provoke Jesus to perform a miracle. And Jesus would have nothing to do with it. Jesus did not answer So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. We're still on Friday. We are still on Friday. Guess where he goes again? Back to Pilate once again. Now, Pilate had power. But let me tell you something about Pilate. Pilate was afraid of disagreeing with the very people that he ruled. He was afraid of them. So he listened to them. He 
listen to them. This time, Pilate calls together a high-level conference of Jewish leaders. Chief priests were there, and they represented the religious leadership. The social and the political leaders were there too. So Pilate, he tells the crowd, he tells the people, hey, let me just punish Jesus. Let me punish him and release him. They would have nothing to do with it. They kept screaming, crucify him, crucify him. They demanded that Pilate release Barabbas, who was a criminal, who was guilty of murder. They wanted him released and they wanted Jesus crucified. And that's exactly what they got. Now, it's still Friday. The soldiers now have Jesus. What will they do with Jesus? I want to go to Matthew's gospel for just a minute to answer this. Matthew 27, starting in verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him. embarrassed him. They put a scarlet robe on him. Again, embarrassed him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed, a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Now, there are experts that you can read about the crucifixion, but most experts do agree on one thing that When these people were finished with Jesus, he was likely the most unhuman-looking human that any eyes had ever seen. That's the abuse that he took for you and for me. I wonder this morning, what will we do with Jesus? Those people humiliated him. They tortured him. The beatings, that robe that they put on him to embarrass him. At some point, the, the, the um, wounds, the blood would start to have dried up and that robe would have stuck to those wounds. And notice they stripped him of the robe. That would have injured him in itself. And they put him back in his own clothes and led him to be crucified. It's still Friday. Jesus is making this journey down what we know as the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. They're making him carry the crossbeam on his shoulder. Jesus is physically worn out at this point. He couldn't carry it anymore. And so they selected somebody from the crowd, Simon of Cyrene, 
to carry the cross of Jesus. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid it on, laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Now, Simon was likely a Jewish pilgrim who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And he gets selected to carry the cross of Jesus. It becomes really apparent to see what Simon did. He carried the cross of Jesus. What about you? Will you carry it? What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? And then that brings us to the crucifixion. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And you know, in the past 2,000 years or so that have passed since then, if we're being honest, we'd probably just as soon not think about the details, the gory details of the crucifixion. We somehow would prefer to make it not nearly as bad as it actually was. When we think about nails being driven in his hands and his feet, it's a lot easier to imagine those nails being a nail that we would use in our homes to hang a picture with. That's not at all what the nails were like. Three nails like these were driven through the hands and the feet of our Savior. Can you imagine that? Jesus being in the shape that he's in, laying back on the crossbeam, and this being driven through each hand. And another one being driven through his feet. All of that was for me. All of that was for you. I wonder this morning, what will we do with Jesus? Jesus, who gave his life on the cross freely so that we could have eternal life. What will we do with Jesus? Verse 34, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the dear reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. We are still on Friday. And one thing that I want to say about this before we move on, it is significant that Jesus tells this one thief that today you will be with me in paradise. If you were here last week to witness Erica's baptism, One of the things that we pointed out, that we always point out, is that baptism is not what saves us. It's important that we follow Christ through believers' baptism, but baptism is not what saves us. And we always try to be very, very clear about that. And I just want to make sure that you realize that there is no way this thief on the cross could have possibly been baptized. He was nailed to a cross. Yet Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Salvation is based on Jesus Christ alone. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not Jesus plus baptism. It's Jesus, only Jesus. We're still on Friday. Let's look at the death. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly, This man was innocent. Isn't it amazing that Jesus would have to be crucified before people realized he was innocent? Isn't that amazing? And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breast, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, darkness fell over the entire land for a period of three hours. And it was at a very unlikely time. It was high noon when the darkness ruled over the land. But at this moment on Friday, there is darkness. Only God can bring you hope. But can I tell you something this morning, church? Sunday is coming Sunday is coming. It might be Friday now, but Sunday is coming. And Jesus is going to rise from the grave. And that is good news this morning. I wonder, what will you do with Jesus? Only the resurrection can bring new life into the darkness. But with the death of Jesus, it did so many things. One of them was it destroyed the old religious system. Religious leaders could no longer control the system of atonement. Scribes and students of the law could no longer tell common people what was and was not acceptable to God. 
With the death of Jesus, God tore the veil that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the worship place. God opened up his presence to the common believer. That's me. That is you. Every believer can now go straight to God. And that is great news. It's still Friday. And Jesus is buried. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. I wonder this morning, are we looking? Are we looking for the kingdom of God? Joseph was. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. What would Joseph do with Jesus? Verse 53, then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then finally, it's Saturday. Verse 56. Then they returned, speaking of the women, and prepared spices and ointments. Where are the disciples at this point? Where are they? Where are they? We notice them because, guess what? They're not there. The disciples are not there. And we notice them because they're not there. But who was there? Faithful women. Faithful women were there. These women had followed Jesus while he was alive. They had taken care of his needs while he was alive. And now they're following him in death. They are taking care of Jesus in death. That's what those faithful women did with Jesus. They prepared anointing spices used to honor the dead and to hide the odor of death and decay. And then I want you to be sure to notice that what they did on the Sabbath, they rested. Does anybody remember what Brother Blake preached on last Sunday? Preached on rest, didn't he? These women rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. They knew it was important to rest. I wonder this morning, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Remember, Sunday's coming. Sunday is coming. Next Sunday, Brother Blake is going to preach about Jesus and his resurrection. But I wonder, as we close this morning, what will you do with Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and you realize, hey, I I say I'm a Christian, but I truly have not been following Jesus. That can all change today, but let me tell you, let me be very straightforward with you. It's going to take a commitment from your part. And that commitment is between you and Jesus. But if you're here this morning and you know you are not following Jesus like you should, I encourage you 
to come and do your business with Jesus this morning. Today can be a new day in your life. Maybe there are people here this morning and you know that if you were to stand before Jesus right now that heaven's not going to be your home. If that's you this morning and you do not know with certainty where your eternity will be spent, you need to come today and make the decision that you are going to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. You can do that right here today. Brother Blake and I would love to introduce you to Jesus. Don't think it's something that you can wait to do. None of us knows if we will make it home today or not. We are not even promised the next second, much less the next day. If Jesus is knocking on your heart's door this morning, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. And as we close this morning, I I always feel led as I preach to let you know, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, maybe you're wondering, how? How does a person accept Jesus as their Savior? And as I always say, it really is as easy as we teach children in vacation Bible school that it is. It's the ABCs of salvation. We've got to be willing to admit that we're a sinner, that there is sin in our life that has separated us from Jesus Christ. We've got to admit that. We've got to believe that Jesus, this man that I have been preaching about this morning, we've got to believe that He is God's Son, that He walked this earth, He conducted an earthly ministry, and His life contained absolutely no sin. We've got to believe that He loved us so much that He died on the cross that I've been preaching about this morning. We've got to believe that. And then we've got to believe that After he was buried, he didn't stay in the grave. Three days later, he arose from the grave. We've got to believe that. And then we've got to be willing to repent and turn from our sinful lives. We cannot cannot willingly choose to remain in sin and be a Christian at the same time. It just does not work like that. Now, will we sin at times? Yes, we will. Unfortunately, the Holy Spirit will convict us of that and we will not be comfortable with the sin remaining in our lives. So that is how you become a Christian this morning. So I want to ask you one more time, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your day. Your day the day that is set aside for us to rest. Father, I pray that today the Holy Spirit is moving throughout this sanctuary. And Father, I pray that you are knocking on the doors of hearts today. And what I pray that we will see you move freely during this time of invitation. Father, I pray that people will be saved. I pray that relationships will be restored. And I pray that you will be exalted as our King of kings and our Lord of lords. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.